Wilson, like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top, Subic's great grab. Across the ground, bam, in comes Donny Wurzlow. Got it out to a oh. kick, kick smothered, check, Hunter. Who would have thought the sequel would be just as good as the original? Kicks inside 50, McGovern, McGovern, what a player. Shank needs to be in perfect the the premiers of 1992. The 1994 premiers. Premiers. The 2006, the 2018 AFL Premiership team. The West Coast Eagles. G'day everyone. Welcome to the West Coast Eagles across the football landscape, and that is, of course, the concept of Victorian bias. Now, this has been one of the central talking points throughout this AFL shutdown, uh, and given that there is a week before the games all start, this is the week that we're going to tackle the topic. We're going to examine it as only three fans of interstate teams can. Uh, So let's get this underway by talking about Vic Bias. I'm your host, Honey Badger 35 and I'm joined this week by Miguel Sanchez. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Um, yeah, three guys who all support the same team and are all based in Western Australia. We're going to talk about Vic Bias. So I was thinking earlier we probably should have got someone on as an independent or as the the alternative view from Victoria. But yeah, uh, we're not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think the phrase. Let's just, let's just lay the boots in. That's right. I think Stuffham comes to mind because if we're wanting to talk about fairness and equality. Uh, and giving everybody a seat at the table. Well, if that existed, we wouldn't be having this episode. So, now stuff that. We'll we'll offer some some counterpoints perhaps later on in the show, but still from our very measured Western Australian points of view. Also joining us on the show this week is Keys. Keys, how are you going? Yep, coming through the virus and here in the system. Help, help! We're being repressed. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm good. Very good. Glad to have you on, Keys. Glad to have you on, Miguel. We will crack on with all things Vic Bias in just one second. But as always up top, if you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can do so through Big Footy. You can reach us on Twitter uh, at WCEBFpod. And also, we'd really appreciate any iTunes ratings, subscriptions, telling a friend, sharing it with an Eagles mate, anything like that. It all helps us. But this is a big one. It's been coming for a while. It is always a relevant topic, perhaps more so this week than most. Let's get stuck into all things Victorian bias. Now, guys, Vic bias is probably a phrase that you've heard a lot of, especially of late. Throughout the AFL shutdown, it has become one of the central talking points. For me, I think at first I probably most saw it or heard it from fans of non-Victorian clubs, these so-called interstate clubs, if you will. Uh, complaining about little issues in the system, things that consistently benefited some teams over another set of teams. From my perspective, it often fell on deaf ears, but of late, I think the footy industry has started to embrace the term, some perhaps a little more in earnest than others. Some people use it to kind of mock or deride the non-Victorian teams. Some people, uh, David King, for example, I think kind of buy into it and and are happy to discuss it and explore it. So it is a hot topic. Uh, We saw Tom Rockliffe bring it up a few weeks ago. We saw Mick Malthouse as well discuss how hard it is for the non-Victorian clubs to succeed in the AFL as it currently exists. At the other end of the spectrum, you've got your Eddie Maguires who turn around and say it doesn't exist or they say too bad, that's just always the way it's going to be, get over it. Before we get all the way into what each element of Vic Bias is, Miguel, let's start things off with a bit of a, an overall view of it. 
How do we define Vic bias for the purpose of this discussion? Um, well, I, I think you really defined it then, but it's it's really a, a product of the fact that uh, the competition started off as the Victorian Football League um, and then expanded into other states, but um, uh, the head's headquartered in Melbourne. Most of its executives are from Melbourne or um, you know, even in the, the case of Gil McLaughlin, who's originally South Australian, you know, they, they moved to Melbourne and they become based in Melbourne in order to, to run the league. More than half the clubs are based in Melbourne. And so everything is run out of Melbourne and um, viewed with a, a, a Victorian-centric focus. And so there's issues you know, crop up uh, in, in the running of the league that adversely affect the other teams and uh, you know, the 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 teams from interstate and uh, are just allowed to remain that way because there's sort of the throwing up of the hands at AFL house and saying, well, what can you do? This is the makeup of the competition. 10 teams are here. So we're stuck with that. But yeah, that's the problem we're dealing with is, is a byproduct of the, the makeup of the league, but how you deal with it, uh, you know, there could be steps taken to deal with it that, there's no real appetite to um, to do at AFL House because they've got their own interests and most of their interests are based in Docklands or, or Turak or Brighton or wherever they're living. So um, that's what we're stuck with. Now, Miguel, you're right, and there obviously are ways to tackle this. Uh, whether there's an appetite to do so, as you pointed out, it, it remains to be seen. But you do see these things that benefit the Victorian clubs much more so than non-Victorian clubs on big ticket items, things that I think impact the integrity of the comp, like your fixturing and travelling, uh, staffing, things like the grand final being locked at the MCG forever. And then on top of that, there's also a lot of superfluous things or, or, or things that aren't malicious and perhaps don't impact the integrity of the comp, but add to the frustration all the same, like non-Victorian clubs having to wear away jumpers at home because the Victorian club doesn't have an appropriate clash jumper or you know ill-informed media coverage. It's not super pressing. It's not a major issue from an integrity point of view, but it riles up the fans of the non-Victorian clubs all the same and it contributes to this idea, Keys, that perhaps it's not knowing, perhaps it's not malicious, but there's just a general lack of care about how things might affect the teams outside of Victoria. So from your perspective, do you think that... Vic bias is real at an integrity level, or do you think that it's just sort of kind of like a tinfoil paranoia, something that the non-Victorian fans cling onto as as a bit of an excuse? Yeah, look, I think there is uh, at times there's a little bit of tinfoil hat to particularly WA supporters, and and I'm sure there's moments where I've where I've had it. I don't know that there's a a deliberate bias from the AFL to favour the Victorian clubs, but I think there's just a lack of understanding of how there's a structural imbalance, as Miguel alluded to, in that you know, just over half the clubs are located in one state, and that that creates a, a problem that, you know, in fairness to AFL, they really can't do anything about it. There's there's 10 clubs in Victoria and, and eight outside of Victoria, so there's going to be things like travel and home and away games and things like that that are unavoidable. Uh, speaking specifically of WA teams, we're on the other side of the country, so there's a geographical hurdle there that you, you can't do anything about. You know, it's a physical problem. Well, I think where the issue comes in is that yes, there's there's disadvantages in particular for the two WA teams uh, that arise because of the structural imbalance. That I don't think there's any real appetite, as you say, to to address that. 
or even recognise it. So you, you know, there's a myriad of ways they could perhaps look at doing things a little bit differently to to give non-Victorian sides maybe a small advantage to balance the disadvantage of of the fact that there's ten teams in Victoria. You know, and it, there's things where like with the the new fixturing with the COVID nineteen now. Um, in fairness to the AFL, uh, they're hamstrung by the WA government's stance on the interstate, bo- interstate borders. They can't do anything about that. But you just knew when when the league shut down, you knew that whatever the fixture was going to come out when eventually did, you, you're, it was almost inevitable that WA teams were the ones that were going to get the roughest end of the pineapple on it. And that's how it's turned out. And I think for me... Where I sort of looked at the Vic Bias and sort of looked at it as something as a little bit of a laughing thing, and just like, yeah, Vic Bias and stuff like that, it hit home, strangely enough, on a really trivial issue, and that was the when the WA government relaxed the training restrictions, so we were going to be able to train in groups of 10. And it took, I think, less than 24 hours before the Victorian clubs threw their hands up and said, that's not fair. And then straight away, the A4 came out and said, no, no, you can't train in more than groups of two because it's not fair because we can't do it here in Victoria. Now it turns out that because of the interstate border issues, the two WA teams and the two South Australian teams are going to have to spend a month at least in on the Gold Coast in a hub where all the other clubs can stay where they are. And as soon as it started to come out that that might be the case and it might be some difficulties for those clubs, the same clubs that whinged about the um, 10-person training rule were very quick to then turn around and go, well, that's just the way it is. You're going to have to suck it up and get on with it. So that was that was kind of enlightening in the way that, you know, it's not deliberate, but, you know, any time there's, and I'll be might get into it later, you know, the issue now that's just come out in the news today with GWS, that they sort of found a way they might be able to get some corporate people at their ground at their hometown and they fell thinking, oh, that might be an unfair advantage because they might have 350 people there. It's shit like that that just a thousand cuts type thing that just annoys you and gets under your skin. Yeah, it's there's a lot of the straw that broke the camel's back approach to it. And, and you rightly point out there's some issues that are in the grand scheme of football or sporting integrity. Ultimately, they're not massive issues, but they're never isolated cases. So if one of them were to just crop up randomly... I wouldn't care about that. That's never going to be an issue. But because it is the same teams over and over and over again and the same stance from a certain group of people, that's what kills you. Now, we will get onto the attitudes towards it a little bit later, which is another thing that adds fuel to the fire. Keys, you made the important point there as well that we know that the competition isn't always going to be perfect. WA, is a, well, Perth, is a long way away from Melbourne. That's fine. The, the WA teams are always going to have to travel a long way. We're not trying to change the world. We're not trying to get everybody to relocate to one place so we can play the most truly fair competition. There's none of that. Every team has inherent advantages and disadvantages. But I think what this discussion is more centering around is how we can level the playing field to the best of our abilities without doing anything ridiculous, but just by actually taking a step back and considering perhaps how things affect teams outside of Victoria. Miguel, I'll throw to you here. We've, we've sort of started listing a couple already. Uh, in, your, in your mind, what are some of the examples of 
Vic bias as it relates to either either they're a big integrity issue, maybe they're a small non-essential issue. But give us some of the examples you've seen of this so-called Victorian bias that's cropped up in the last couple of years. Um, well, just in the last sort of just in the COVID situation when it's really come to a head, and Keys identified a couple of them, which was the um, you know, the, the ten-person training rule that um, WA wasn't allowed to take advantage of because it would uh, unfairly affect the other states. But you know, then other rules that uh, do unfairly that unfairly affect Western Australian and South Australian states are just um, treated as you know, swings and roundabouts, and you'll have to move and base yourself on the other side of the country because you know, the other fourteen teams could get underway. So we're getting underway. Um, Can I just quickly cut you off, Miguel? There, just yeah. while you, that that example has been brought up, the one that did it for me was. You can't train in groups of 10 because not everybody can train in groups of 10. Okay, fair enough. Well, not fair enough, but all right, we'll get into it. But then suddenly when Victoria was allowed to train in large groups and then you had a lot of players having to relocate back to their so-called interstate clubs, you know, you've got players who have gone home during the shutdown and now relocating back to South Australia or WA. Well, they have to quarantine for a bit and the attitude is just, well, that's just too bad. We've got to suck it up. And I love Simo, absolutely love Adam Simpson, but you've got Simo being the bigger man in the press and saying, yeah, well, it's sort of for the greater good. We've got to get on with it. But five minutes ago, everybody had to have the exact same conditions or the whole season was a write-off. It's not fair, you know? It's just that day-to-day flipping attitude, specifically as it relates to that, that is one that really got me going. So Yeah, that's a good one. And that, that's one that I'd forgotten. And I, I think we were lucky that it didn't affect us, apart from Jack Redden. I don't think um, many of our uh, senior players um, were affected by that, but there was 10 or something at Fremantle. And am I right in saying that didn't the the quarantine rule didn't apply to players returning to Victoria? So, you know, the West Australian or South Australian kids going back to play for a, a Carlton or a Collingwood could rejoin training straight away. That's correct. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, okay, that's another example. Uh, and the ones that have come out um, just recently, and um, I think Keys mentioned you know, the, the the GWS not being allowed to play, uh, not being allowed to have you know, three hundred and fifty people in their crowd because it's three hundred and fifty more than. Uh, Victorian clubs are allowed, um, but then you know, the AFL has also brought in this rule about reserves, you know, teams being able to organise reserves against each other, uh, reserves matches against each other because the reserves will have nowhere to play this year, um, but you've got to do it with teams based in your own state, which is okay for us in the first four weeks because we'll be in Queensland where there's five other teams, so we'll be able to have a little bit of a, a de facto round-robin competition amongst ourselves while we're there. Um, and it's obviously all right for the Victorian teams because there's 10 of them, but um, Sydney and GWS are sort of left out in the cold and uh, at least for the first four weeks, if, and there's probably not much chance of this rule changing for the following four weeks, they'll just, you know, Sydney reserves versus GWS reserves will just have to happen every week if the reserves are going to get a hit out. And there hasn't really been any mention of that. But yeah, that's, that's one rule that uh, will affect teams from that state and you know, if... If the Eagles and Fremantle are able to return to Western Australia you know, in July or whenever, uh, unless there's a, a rule change, they'll have to play each other over and over. But um, you know, the Victorian teams can just about have a 10-team reserves competition. Yeah, there's, there's uh, no real addressing of that issue at all. Yeah, so examples like that, for instance, this is a situation where it goes back to what we've all been saying Deep down, I don't think there is a malice to any of this. I don't think there's knowing forethought where they're saying, we're going to do this, it's going to benefit Victoria, and it's going to screw all those other guys. 
it's just a lack of consideration about how things impact teams outside of Victoria. So this this training example, playing you know your reserves now that non AFL or sorry AFL listed players who aren't playing AFL that week, they can't play in the Waffle or the VFL or the SANFL this year. So they've got to obviously play against each other in some capacity to stay fit. This was so predictable that Mr. KK called this exactly word for word on last week's episode of the pod. And he said, I'm not going to hold my breath and wait for the AFL to even the playing field on that because everybody can see this coming. We're, we're looking at it from a perspective outside of Victoria, but Keys, the AFL is so central within Victoria, both with the number of clubs and AFL House being there, the majority of the media being there. They seem to not be able to get out of their own way to just think about things as it affects them and them alone. Yeah, I think the, uh, there's another issue that goes hand in hand with that is that the core part of the AFL media is based in Melbourne. So all the national football shows, you know, Fox Footy and Channel 9, they're, they're all produced out of Melbourne. So they then have representatives from Melbourne clubs. So they go out to a national audience. And even, I mean, in WA, you know, the West Australian reports on the WA clubs in South Australia, Adelaide advertiser reports on the South Australian clubs, and, and that's it. And so in Victoria, like the Age and the Herald Sun, they write stories about Victorian clubs, which is fair enough. You know, that's that's their market. That's who they buys their papers or whatever. But the problem is, is a lot of those guys who write for the Age and the Sun, they then get it. They also double up on the national football programs. So the the agenda, the media agenda, is run pretty much exclusively out of Melbourne. So you get a an imbalance in the way that things get reported. So Fox Footy have their coaches night. They have two coaches. They have Chris Scott and whoever the other Muppet. There used to be Alan Richardson and then he got, you know, that gives them a platform to voice their club's concerns, which, you know, other clubs don't don't get. But, yeah, there's not a malice, but there's no, there's, there's, there's never any attempt to redress it. I mean, I, I go, I'll flip completely. I'll, I'll go into the issue of travel. Now, we have to travel more often than, any other clubs because that's a geographical thing. But there's there's ways through the fixture that you can you can address that to an extent. So it means that when clubs like Hawthorne and North Melbourne sell home games and play them in Tasmania instead of Victoria, what does the AFL do? They send non-Victorian clubs to Tasmania. What they could do is send other Victorian clubs. So a club like Collingwood or Richmond or Essendon, those guys they travel to play a game in Tasmania, which means they get to travel just that little bit more. Um, we're always going to have to travel to the other side of the country to play games. That's a given. But why we should then have to go to Hobart or Launceston to play a game rather than Melbourne is kind of stupid. You can balance the travel out by putting it on the other clubs to do their share of their heavy lifting when it comes to travel. But you go and have a look through the list of clubs that are played in Tasmania and you will find, apart from Hawthorne and North Melbourne, you'll find maybe a couple of Carlton's. You might find a couple of St Kilda's. You won't find a Richmond or a Essendon or a Collingwood. I think uh, either either Carlton or Richmond went to Hobart last year and it was a big deal. They made a big deal yeah. about the fact that they were sending a big club down there. But, yeah, yeah. it's always it's us or it's yeah. Gold Coast or yeah. it's Port so, Adelaide or... So then it's, it's a simple way to get, and I, I will probably touch on this later, With there's actually an imbalance 
just in between the Victorian clubs because the MCG tenant clubs have got advantages over the other Victorian clubs, for example. So Collingwood and Richmond play 14, 15, 16 games a year at the MCG because they play away games there. So instead of Collingwood, Hawthorne, Collingwood playing Hawthorne away at the MCG, Collingwood play Hawthorne away at York Park. That means they have to get on a plane. It's not a very long plane flight, but they can go there. It gets them off the MCG and gets them in a plane. It can help redress the imbalance, but there's just no appetite, partly because the AFL, and this is the other issue with the AFL, and this is where it comes to an integrity thing. If it's a choice between integrity and money, they choose money. And that's as much as we talk about big bias, that's the core of, I think, the problem with the AFL is that money trumps integrity. And the byproduct of that is by putting money first, it inherently advantages the big Victorian clubs like Collingwood, Richmond, Essendon. There's a lot to unpack in that case, and I agree. We will get onto the the money and the attitude towards integrity versus money, maximising revenue. We might get onto that a bit later. Similarly, uh, the divide within the Victorian clubs, we'll get onto that a bit later. While you're talking about fixturing and while you're talking about travel, you touched on it there, and, and let's really dive into it. So apologies if I'm just going to bombard you with stats or, or data points now, but let's talk about some of these imbalances that don't come up because when people sneer at WA clubs claiming Vic bias, they always say, oh, well, where else would you have us play? Oh, of course you guys have to travel. But let's take a look at it and unpack some of this stuff. So Geelong, for example, they've won 90, by my count, they've won 90 of their last 100 games at Cardinia Park, which is the best stretch at a single venue in a 100-game span ever in the AFL. It is the greatest 100 games in AFL history, 90 out of 100. You go and play the Cats at Cardinia Park, you're pretty much guaranteed to lose. Essendon last played in Cardinia Park in 1993. Collingwood last played there in 1999. West Coast have been there 12 times since Collingwood last went. Freo have been there 13 times. Adam Simpson played 79 games, retired, became an assistant coach, became a senior coach, made a grand final, lost a grand final, made another grand final and won a premiership. All of that since Hawthorne have last been to Cardinia Park. Now you think about the great rivalries that... Hawthorne and Geelong, you know, some of the great games, that awesome rivalry. They last played at Carinia Park in 2006. Essendon last went to Tasmania in 1992. Collingwood have never played for AFL points in Tasmania. And as you rightly point out, you look and you see Port Adelaide go there, Fremantle go there, the Eagles go there. These are the clubs that are already travelling the most, but they couldn't dare send them to the Cattery or send them to Tasmania because then they wouldn't be maximising the revenue. You look at Brent Harvey, He's the AFL Games record holder. He's played 432 games. That's more than anybody in history. He travelled just over 325,000 kilometres. Now you look at Matthew Pavlich, right? Obviously, maybe not a popular uh, figure for some on the Eagles on the Eagles board or for some Eagles fans, but you know, a very respectable career. One of the greatest players to play in WA. 353 games. He played 81% of the games that Brent Harvey did, and he travelled 265% more than Boomer did. Brent Harvey would have had to play 1,144 games to match the travel of Matthew Pavlich. Now, how is this the case where you've got such a massive imbalance, Miguel, in the travel, and yet when it comes to fixturing, they're still throwing the same old clubs into Geelong, into the Northern Territory, into Tasmania, and you can't touch Richmond, you can't touch Collingwood, you can't touch Essendon. They have to stay at the G no matter what. How, how is this the case? Just before, well, I just going to jump in before me, just with that Brent Harvey one, 
he actually plays for a club that do travel a little bit for Victoria. Yeah. If he had played those 400-odd games for Collingwood, he would have actually travelled significantly less than that. He's played more games than anybody ever, and he'd have to play his career nearly three times over to travel as much as Pav did. And, and I don't have the figures on, on Mundy or Dean Cox or any of these other guys from WA, but you know it, it would be it would have to be Brent Harvey's career twice over to travel as much as, as your Dean Cox's and you know Shannon Hearns and whoever else from the WA clubs at the moment. But anyway, Miguel, it seems to be the same clubs consistently that are advantaged and as Keyes has pointed out it's not even like all Victorian clubs are advantaged the same there is a tier within that system that advantages your big clubs your Richmond's and and Collingwood's Essendon Carlton these historical VFL clubs but they always seem to get the leg up even though we're in a very modern or should be in a very modern very separate AFL system so how is that the case? Uh, Well you identified it at the start it's money but it's it's self perpetuating to an extent because you have you know Collingwood are you know, the biggest Victorian club and the biggest drawing club at the MCG, uh, so they're very the AFL is very reluctant to pull uh, Collingwood to play Collingwood anywhere else because they're giving away money uh, by doing so. You know if you, you schedule Geelong versus Collingwood at Cadinia Park and you're shutting sixty thousand people out who would otherwise go then. You're forgoing a lot of money, um, but it's it's self perpetuating because you know Collingwood get all these games at the MCG and they get all the games you know, in the big Friday night Saturday night time slots, um, so they get more fans and so they remain the biggest club. Um, and you know the AFL has had sort of some half hearted attempts to you know they've, they've scheduled North Melbourne on Good Friday when that came about, and but I think it started off as North Melbourne and the Bulldogs and you know as an attempt to to maybe give some of the the smaller clubs, but still Victorian, but the smaller Victorian clubs, um, you know, a bit of a leg up and give them a marquee game. But I think the Bulldogs were dropped after a year and St Kilda might have had a go and then now they've given that up and they've given it back to Essendon because, you know, Essendon don't play enough big games as it is. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's self-perpetuating. They're, they're trying to um, maximise revenue, which comes at the expense of integrity. And um, it just, yeah, you end up with this sort of class system within the Victorian sides and they're not, they're still refusing to make the big decision, which would be, you know, clearly there's too many sides in Victoria. They can't sustain 10 sides. They've got to make these payments to, you know, the smaller clubs, the Saints and the Bulldogs and North that are almost insolvent without the extra money that uh, the AFL pumps them. And they should be making the hard decision to move those clubs somewhere else and try and make it more of a national team and um, stop the, the uh, you know, the saturation of um, clubs in Melbourne, but they're not going to do that. Let's let's explore this concept of them putting revenue and finance over sporting integrity because I think it's something that most AFL fans would accept, even Victorian fans. They absolutely would accept that. I would hope. Keys, it is it is often the counter for things like Geelong saying, "Why can't we host all of our games at Cardinia Park?" Or, or this concept of GWS playing a home state final rather than a home final because it would lock some fans out. We can't make all of it. We'd still make some money. We just wouldn't make all of the money that we could. For me, everybody knows that they put revenue above sporting integrity. I'd almost be fine with it if they could just come out and admit it. They, they never seem to acknowledge it. They'll dance around it and maybe dip their toe in admitting it, but they never fully come out and say, we're doing this because of finance. They will still say... No, the rules always say you get a home state final or, oh, no, Geelong 
MCG is still their home ground as well. It's their second home ground, things like that. Keys, where do you stand on the issue of integrity versus finance? And how can the AFL go about making amends for this or at least coming clean about it? Yeah, I, I think there's a there's just a basic admission that they're just never willing to quite outright make. I mean, you know, you look at the, the smaller Victorian clubs like North and Saints and the Bulldogs, as Miguel said, I mean, they can't, the, the way the AFL is structured, they can't find their way out because they don't get, they don't get the games in the, the prime time slots. So they, they're automatically on the back foot when it comes to trying to get sponsorship for different things because they're not on free to air as much. They're in, they're on a Sunday afternoon instead of a Friday night. There's a whole myriad of sorts of things, and it's. I mean, you look at the the AFL, the blockbuster games, the, the the highlight games. You go through the season, round one, first game, Richmond versus Carlton. That seems to be locked in for whatever reason. The Anzac Day is Essendon Collingwood. Queen's Birthday, Melbourne versus Collingwood. Dreamtime, Richmond versus Essendon. You know, when there's a marquee game, it always seems to be those clubs that get it. Even you go to something to say like Anzac Day that I mean Essendon and Collingwood did they came up with that idea and I, I actually don't have an issue with Essendon and Collingwood being the Anzac Day game because they virtually created it. But one of the things I'll give Fremantle credit for their Len Hall game that they do for the Anzac brand they do that really really well. Now that game should be on Anzac Day night every year. If Collingwood and Essendon can play on Anzac Day every year. Fremantle should get the Len Hall game on Anzac Day at night every year. And they can make that a blockbuster match. But there's no appetite for the AFL to do something like that. You know, the Good Friday, it's like, okay, we're going to throw North a bone, but then they, they don't do it properly. You know, the, the whole, you look at other sporting codes around the world, the marquee games are often the games that are the clubs that are doing well at that particular point in time. So you, your big games are the claims between the top sides. And if a side drops down the ladder or whatever, they then start to lose those. I mean, it was only, I think, last year or maybe the year before where they finally bit the bullet and stopped giving Carlton Friday night games because they they had, the year before, they had seven or eight and they just trashed them because they were so shit. And then again, this COVID-19, it comes out. What's the first game? Richmond Collingwood. It's like, for f***'s sake. You could have done it GWS in Sydney. You could have done it Richmond GWS. Yeah. I mean, it's, but it's always, you know, if it's like, oh, we need a big game, we need a thing. It's like they've got this very small pool of clubs that they always, almost always seem to draw from. And this is the thing. There's, oh, as I said earlier, there's, if there's a if there's a decision to be made is what's the best thing financially or what's the best thing for the integrity of the competition, they will always fall on on the money side of it, always. There's never, I can't think of a single instance where integrity's trumped finance. The same was the argument with Geelong last year with their home final. Now, you knew that if Geelong drew GWS in a final, that that would have been played in Geelong. But there was no way it was ever going to be, if it was Geelong and, as it turned out, Richmond, there was no way that was ever going to be played in Geelong. Even though integrity says... Geelong should be playing at their home stadium. I had, I, I understand Geelong completely saying we should deserve our home finals at Kenya Park. That should be the case. The problem Geelong have is that they also fall for the money trap and they do request some of their home games being played at the MCG because they get the money from those. So 
they kind of having a little bit of their cake and trying to eat it as well, saying, well, we'll take the money during home and away, but when it's a final, we want to have it down there. It ain't quite right. But again, money trumps integrity every single time. On that topic, it is one of the biggest examples of Vic bias or perceived Vic bias. It's certainly one of the most hotly contested talking points of this entire topic. That is the grand final contract being locked to the MCG. There's several sides to this. It's tradition. It's the biggest venue, people say. It makes the most money. But then, the same, you know, by the same token, they'll turn around and, and submit a 40-year contract extension. For the next 40 years, this is the venue that this game is going to be at. That came out of nowhere, didn't it? There was, you know, oh, there's no WA build. were putting their hand up saying, yeah, we're, we're building a stadium. We'd like the opportunity to, you know, maybe bid on hosting the, the grand final one year like the Super Bowl, move it around a bit. And the you know, next minute, the AFL's turned around and said, oh, no, we've signed an exclusive deal now. It, it really... Um, certainly blindsided the footy public. I don't know about insiders. The thing with that deal was it was already in place till 2037, I think, around sometime into the 2030s. So it was already a long way out in advance. Now, as it stands right now, I think you're not ever going to win it. I mean, I don't think the grand final should be played anywhere else in the MCG now because it's the best, it's the biggest stadium, things like that. There's, there's, Good reasons why it should be the MCG. But when you start pushing it out 40 years, the Eagles haven't been in the competition for 40 years just yet. 40 years is a long, long time away. There's a whole number of things can happen. But that agreement's set in stone. And it doesn't, there was no reason to extend it. It was already well in advance. MCG weren't doing any large capital works that they needed to have a, an agreement in place to underwrite those works or anything like that. It was completely unnecessary. And the goal of the AFL should be that in time, the grand final does move away from the MCG. It does go, it either rotates around the country or you do it so its highest ranked team gets a home grand final. That should be the goal. But you're not getting that. And it means that other states, I mean, you're not going to build a 100,000-seat stadium in another state because you're not going to get the big events there. They're going to say, no, well, they're going to go to the MCG because that's how the agreements work. Yeah, so it's very much rooted in this idea of throwing back to yesteryear and tradition and this is how things were, so this is how things have to be. Keys, like you point out, 40 years is an eternity. As you say, the Eagles haven't been in the... Most of the interstate clubs... In fact, all of the interstate clubs haven't been in the competition for 40 years. There is no telling what a stadium in New South Wales could look like in 30 years' time or in 20 years' time. There's no telling what they could have done to Optus if they had have dangled the carrot and said, hey, look, if you build it to X capacity and with this, you know, this functionality, you can host the grand final in 2039 or whatever it may be. So, Miguel, you touched on the Super Bowl there. I think that's a very valid system that they have which is they rotate it. It's known years in advance. Not all the stadiums are equal. They're not all the same capacity. But you say, hey, next year it's in Atlanta. The year after that, it's in New Orleans. And you know and you can predict. Now, if Atlanta, I'm using them as an example because they're my team and they're never going to go to the Super Bowl because they bloody suck. If Atlanta happened to be in the Super Bowl the year that Atlanta, the city, is hosting the Super Bowl, that's just fortunate for them. That's just good luck. It just happened it's, to break that way. I don't think it's ever actually happened, has it? You you know NFL more than me, but I don't think it's happened. I don't think it has happened. Minnesota got very, very close in the last couple of years, and I actually don't think it has happened. But it's plausible. There's nothing stopping it from happening. That's just chance. No. It, it could happen. And if it happens, so be it. So be it. 
a team happened to get a home grand final. But what we've got right now is a system where, you know, we even touched on it a little bit earlier with Geelong. Geelong can quote-unquote host Richmond at Richmond's home ground. West Coast can host Collingwood at the MCG in 2018. It, is, it makes it that much harder to win a grand final when you know that you have to travel as the higher-ranked or perhaps better club to the home ground of the lower-ranked club because people in a boardroom grew up on VFL footy, I guess, is the reason. Now, if they had a turned around and said, we will rotate the grand final to stadiums that can fulfil the following criteria, you, do that. That's the system for me that works. Say, we will rotate the grand final if and only if your stadium can hold X number of people, your city can provide X number of hotel rooms to travellers, X number of flights on that weekend, you know, transport from nearby hotels to the to the stadium. I don't care. Make the rules as strict or as stringent as possible, but at least pretend that there is a chance that if your council or your government or whatever it may be builds an appropriate stadium, they will get a chance to host this big event. Because from a sporting integrity point of view, Miguel, it makes no sense whatsoever. You've got Richmond spending two straight months at the MCG before last year's finals. And, I mean, Freo haven't even played there seven times since 2015. And Richmond played seven consecutive games there last year. How do you think that these so-called interstate clubs are going to get a crack on that last day in September if they constantly have to travel to the home ground of lower-ranked teams? Yeah, it definitely makes it more difficult. Um, and it's just yeah, another of those things and, and something else that's cropped up from um, you know, having... The, the competition having been bought out of the born out of the suburban um, Victorian football league, so yeah, look, I, I agree with you that that would be a much fairer system. Um, you know, how we get that, how that comes about, I'm not sure. Can we tear up the contract that they've signed with the MCG, or you know, do we start submitting it as you know something the AFL should look at um, starting in 2058 uh, if we haven't been blown up by um, <laughs> North Korea? <laughs> by the US-China-North-Korea war by then. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, it's it's all just um, examples of the the, uh, the Victorian-centric running of the league and it's, uh, you know, it's just another obstacle for us to overcome. And to be honest, it's something that made that 2018 win even more special, you know, the fact that um, we went over there and you know, had to defeat Collingwood on their home ground in order to win it. So, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it, it makes it more tough for us, but makes the victories all the more sweeter. I think it's, I mean, I'm older than you guys. I was around when Eagles first started, and it's, I, I think, probably the way the competition now is, is a lot better than what it was when it was first started. I think there was, when the Eagles first joined the competition, the bias was actually deliberate. And and it's been, you listen to someone like Mick Malthouse talk about his time as a coach at Eagles in the early 90s and how hard fought some of the concessions that we had well, what were considered concessions were actually just it was more like we we're just getting handicaps from things like this. You know, we had small list size when we first won the competition. Finals weren't, you know, we played 1991 was, you know, before we got our first home final. Um, and even then, it was only in the first week. After that, you had to, you still had to go to Melbourne. And then it was, you could only have one, in, you had to have one final at, the, at Melbourne every weekend. Um, which went 96 and 1999, we got stitched up where we had to go and play a, what would have been a home final in Melbourne because there was a higher ranked team than us that earned uh, a final in their state. So, you know, everything everything we've had to try and get to try and even the system up has been pretty hard fought. And I think that's where, I think where 
some of it comes in. I think the bias is perhaps more noticeable for for some of the older fans because we saw it when it first started, just how bad it was, and 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 you get annoyed when you still see some of these sort of archaic type arrangements sort of still exist or little quirks that pop up. But I think you, I saw a tweet from you, Badge, just recently with with this MCG thing. You know the the payment for the clubs, it's an unexpected boost, you know, whereas if that was an interstate getting, that they'd be crying about it, and, and that just shits you to tears. There's two more things I think we should talk about with this. The first, Keys, as you've just touched on there, is, is the attitude towards it and the framing of, you know, it's always an unexpected boost. There's always a nice little surprise, and then when things happen interstate, it's always an unfair advantage, things like that. So let's well, first we'll talk about the attitude, but then also let's recognise there are some benefits that come to being based outside of Victoria, just with the arrangement of the number of teams. So we'll get into that just shortly. But before we go into the benefits, let's let's kick the uh, kick the Vicks one more time and talk about the attitude towards it. For me, this is one of the greatest sticking points in all of this: is that there is a refusal to acknowledge that it exists, or if people exist, there is a hand waving of it away. We've we've said it now that many times, but you guys are you've all hit the nail on the head. There is no appetite to change it. Some people don't even acknowledge that it exists and the other people will just go, so what, that's the way it is. You've only got to look at Eddie Maguire, for example. Now, he got into a spat recently with Tom Rockliffe about this, uh, Mick Malthouse about this, and then, of course, now in this current week, he's uh, arguing with Port over the use of their traditional prison bar jumper because it's his competition and he signed the paperwork that let Collingwood, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, Eddie Maguire says... I laugh because it's not going to change. It is what it is. If they get a head up about it, well, so be it. That's the way it is. Full stop. 2058 is the next time that the grand final won't be at the MCG. Get over that. Now, that is the sort of, frankly, childish and and selfish, unfair attitude that it doesn't help anything. It's not professional. You've got a club president and uh, a very prominent media figure in Maguire just spitting the dummy with that one saying, get over it. There is a refusal to acknowledge that it is unfair and the very few that do present you with this get over it mentality now as i touched on earlier with the finances over fairness approach i could almost accept it if they would just acknowledge it if they just say yeah we know it's unfair and then not follow up with the but get over it part if they could just say yes we know it's unfair you could almost start to build a bridge and get over it but miguel the way it is we're playing in a an expanded vfl comp that would be dead without interstate money that is an observable fact if if it's been and West Coast didn't join the competition, the VFL would be dead. You have former VFL commissioners and executives confirming as much. The competition is alive because they expanded unwillingly for some of them interstate, but it's now been a national comp for nearly 35 years. The attitude needs to change. It can't be it doesn't exist, and it definitely can't be it does exist, but get over it. Like, How, how do we go about encouraging people to come to the fact that, yeah, this is an issue, and if we just acknowledged it, that would actually go a long way to mending some of these arguments. Uh, I'm not sure, to be honest. Do we get like a Rupert Murdoch figure to uh, come and set up a Super League? You know, just take the, the eight interstate clubs and we'll grab you know, Port Melbourne and Williamstown out of the VFL and we'll just we'll start up a national comp and let them have their precious VFL competition? Is that a realistic uh, possibility? I don't think so. So, yeah, what do we do? Uh, what do we do about it? What can you do? Change hearts and minds. Um, I don't know, really. I've got no answer to that. I'm sorry. No, that's the sad truth of it. I think it's just something that's going to potentially come with time. But 
I doubt it. If you ever look at a discourse on a Facebook comment section, for example, or on some threads on Big Footy, you, you get people that are absolutely not going to teach their kids about this sort of stuff. So uh, it's, I wouldn't expect time to just change it. Yeah, attitude-wise, attitude it is it is very frustrating and, and certainly a sticking point. Keys, do you have a silver bullet for all of this? Do you have any way that we can try and encourage some sort of dialogue and instead of just being hand-waved away and saying, no, just get back into your state, that's always the way it's going to be? I don't, yeah, I, I'm sort of a bit defeatist about it. I don't think you'll get... There's no silver bullet. I think you just got to be doing what, what's been done over the last 35 years and you just keep chipping away and just take little victories when you can, when you get them. And then maybe in time as things develop, you know, things will slowly even up. But, you know, whilst you've got those clubs and and, and certain figures within AFL media uh, in Victoria, they just outright refuse to acknowledge it and and openly mock it, I don't think it's going to change. It's simple as that. Now, before we wrap everything up on the Vic Bias discussion, I thought we might as well touch on some of the benefits of being a non-Victorian club, of which there are some. Um, Now, whenever you bring it up, these are the arguments that get immediately thrown back in your face by Victorian fans. So uh, we're not going to be completely one-eyed on this there obviously are some benefits to being based outside of victoria number one is the home crowd advantage definitely or or a perceived home ground advantage at the very least now this is the case obviously given that there's two clubs in wa versus 10 in victoria if you host a home game unless you're playing Fremantle, you're going to have a 90 10 crowd split or an 80 20 you know you, you have a large split of the crowd that is undeniable and that is clearly a benefit is it enough of a benefit to mitigate the travel, the fixturing, the integrity when it comes to big games? Who's to say? But you can't deny that that is an advantage. One thing I will say on that, you get your Collingwood fans and your Richmond fans, they'll tell you until they're absolutely blue in the face that they're the biggest club in footy, they've got more fans, they've got more rabid fans, they make the most noise. Suddenly when they have to play a Collingwood versus Melbourne away game, Suddenly they pretend that the split's 50-50 and, oh, they're so hard done by it's not a true advantage. So they kind of want to have the cake and eat it too on that. But, Miguel, there is the advantage of having a home crowd and a home ground advantage, forcing teams to travel to you when you play a home game as a quote-unquote interstate club. How much of a benefit do you think that is? And would you trade that for a more level playing field in other areas? Uh, Yeah, I don't think it. It completely offsets um, the the disadvantage, but it you know it's it's one little thing to um, claw back a bit of an advantage for us. Uh, one argument I've seen from Victoria is that you know, we, we've got an a, I think even from like an Eddie Maguire or someone like that that we've got an unfair advantage in travel because we're so used to it. Um, and <laughs> Collingwood and Richmond, who you know never leave the MCG, it's a big disadvantage for them when they do it. Um, so that's that's it's actually an advantage for us in a perverse sort of way that we do travel every second week. There'd be a good way to that test one. that. There'd be a really good way to test that is um, what you do. You take yeah. ten years and you set up the Eagles and Fremantle here, and you make the Vic clubs come to us every week, and we'll travel. No, we'll keep it fair. We'll travel five times a year. We'll leave the state, um, and after ten years, if the Eagles and Dockers win loss is worse than the Victorian win losses. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. So good suggestion, Eddie. Take that one on board. The other flip side of that is, of course, you get a true away ground advantage or disadvantage, I should say. For every home ground advantage you get, well, you're clearly disadvantaged when you're away. So I'd say that those balance out. But anyway, 
Now, Keys, the other one which we've touched on a little bit throughout is in the financial space. Now, this is where it is beneficial to be a non-Victorian club because you've got a football market that is only split two ways instead of ten ways. Um, in all the you know in, in New South Wales or in Queensland, South Australia and WA, you've got two clubs competing over the market versus your clubs like St Kilda or like North Melbourne or the Bulldogs that are scrounging for the scraps of the bigger clubs in their market. Again, how much of an advantage is this uh, financial benefit and is it something that you'd trade for a more level playing field? Yeah, I think in the case of West Coast Eagles, think with the COVID-19, I think it became blatantly obvious that we're a financial powerhouse and out of all the clubs, we're the ones most equipped to ride the storm out. And that, and that is the fact that, you know, we were the first team in the state um, and even now we're still only a two-team two team state. So sponsorship dollars and things like that, you know, we're, we're better off. I mean, and there's, there is a distinct advantage in that, not quite to the same extent uh, Fremantle have that advantage as, as the second team coming in. But they, given, and I'm not... not I am bashing Fremantle. Um, <laughs> yeah, they've had very limited on-field success. But if they were a club in Victoria with their on-field success, they would not be anywhere near as financially um, solvent as they would be. They'd um, be getting shifted that, to Tasmania. Yeah. I, so I think you know they, there's 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 a benefit there. But I think you you know the way the you know, the sort of semi-socialist way the AFL is set up, it's very difficult now with the cap on football department spending and things like that. Those dollars really, the, the financial strength, you, you can't really take advantage of that on an on-field sense. It, it's it's very difficult. You can't, you can't pay your players more, you can't pay your coaches more. So in terms of, yes, it's an advantage in terms of, you know, finances, but translating that, into a tangible on-field success isn't there. Um, and you just see that with, you know, Collingwood, you know, that, you know, Collingwood are quite financially strong. They've not had more success than than other clubs, even with their sort of financial capacity compared to some of the other Victorian clubs. So, yep, yeah, we're better off financially, but it doesn't really help win games to any great extent, and then you've got the other. You, you've got things we haven't touched on it with the structural imbalance. You see a lot more players going back to Victoria, mm. and even players that originally were from states outside of Victoria going and choosing to play in Victoria, like Jagger Amira, for example. You know, because that's the football hub, and I am certain that the the lower amount of travel is a carrot that Victorian clubs can dangle when they're trying to recruit players. And to put it further, I think it was Taylor Adams who said one of the reasons he chose to go to Collingwood was so he could get to play in front of big crowds. So there's there's a lot of little, a little advantages that the Victorian clubs have because the way the competition is set up, that again is, I don't think is really acknowledged so before we finish up entirely on Vic Bias I thought we could each go around and say a couple of points if you've got them on on just the most succinct way I suppose you can 
If you had Eddie Maguire across the desk at you, or, or Gillan McLaughlin for that matter, what would you pitch to him to say, the bias exists, let's pretend they acknowledge the bias exists, here are some steps we would like to take to iron it out. Miguel, I'll start with you. What are your go-to steps to try and mitigate some of these issues? Let us buy a home game from um, struggling uh, Victorian teams or you know, interstate teams. If St Kilda want to sell us a home game, great. They can come and play it here. And that way we can play you know, 13 games in Western Australia instead of 12 a year. And that's one less trip over Easter a year for us. Um, takes us down to nine, you know, still probably double what Eddie's team and, and Richmond are, are doing that year. So, you know, that's one one step they could take. Keys? Yeah, fairness in fixturing. I think you 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 can't avoid the travel, but you can mitigate the effects of it. So there should be definitely a an appetite within the AFL to look at our fixture, minimise the number of six-day breaks, you travel back up and then look at, like I said, when it comes time to play games outside of Victoria, like in Tasmania or things like that, absolutely it should be clubs like Collingwood and they should get a turn at it and going there, same as same as every other club. There's ways in the way the fixturing is done that you can, you can offset the disadvantage that we have in terms of travel. That's, that would be the main one I'd look at um, one one element of travel that I think did work for us last year, and then it wasn't repeated this year. Uh, was the the Alice Springs trip, the opposite of you know, sending us over east and then down to um, Tasmania to play Hawthorne or North Melbourne, and adding that little extra bit of travel. Um, you know, we're we're Melbourne. I think it's Melbourne. They play one or two home games in Alice Springs, um, allowing us to play there halves our travel and you know, it worked quite well um, last year when we did it and uh, that half the travel uh, was uh, an advantage for us um, you know, going to play Melbourne in uh, an environment that they weren't necessarily any more comfortable in than we were so um, that was a way when it fixturing us in small towns actually worked so you know, that's something they could look at to just be creative with it. Yeah I'm glad you, I, I think what ra- rather than maybe sell a, a home, a, a buy a home game from another club and play at the Loptus Stadium, I think we should be allowed, you know, one way you could do it is buy a home game from another club but play it in Alice Springs. So instead of travelling to Victoria, we travel to Alice um, and it's a de facto home game for us. But it's, at least it's a neutral venue and we don't have to travel as far. There's ways around it if they think about it. Absolutely good ideas and plenty of ways around it. A couple from me before we wrap things up on the topic. Two of them could happen. Two of them could happen next season or this season if they wanted. One of them is never going to happen, but here we go. First one, clubs should be able to charter flights and it not count towards the soft cap. So the Eagles should be able to you know, flex the financial muscle that we've got, as Keyes was mentioning. We should be able to charter our own flights to Geelong if we're going to Geelong. We should be able to travel the way we want and how we want and then not be charged twice by having that taxed and counted towards the soft cap. Because if the Eagles... Tried... Did that happen last year with the Geelong game? It did. We, we chartered a flight to Geelong uh, because we then had a shortened break to come back home and play, I think it was the Gold Coast. But that's charged towards your soft cap. So that's money that is then getting redistributed amongst some of the clubs, especially the, the poorer sort of Victorian clubs. We, we have to pay more to go over to Geelong, and then we have to pay again when tax time comes to prop up some clubs that probably shouldn't be there in the first place. So that's ridiculous. 
all clubs, interstate, Victoria, non-Victoria, I don't care, whoever you are, fly how you want and don't have it count towards the soft cap. If Richmond is you know, finally leaving the state and they want to go to Brisbane and they want to go on a private jet and flex some financial muscle, let them. That's fine. Fly how you want and take it out of the soft cap. That's the first one. Second one, admit there's a problem. If they admit there's a problem, again, it'll go a long way to starting to, to get this whole process up and running again. And the last one, which is never going to happen, but Jesus, it, it is from an integrity point of view, just so crucial. Set parameters for what venues can hold the grand final. Tell us they need to be able to host this many people. The city needs to have this much of a facility. Airport needs to be able to satisfy this many travellers. I don't care what the parameters are. Set some parameters and say, if you satisfy these conditions, we will rotate the grand final to you every other year. Or we'll spend in an 18-year window... 10 years at the MCG, two years at Optus, two years at Adelaide Oval. Divvy it up that way, as, as many teams there are per, per state. If you want to do it in an 18-year window, if you want to do it year by year, I don't care. Rotate it like they do the Super Bowl so I can look on my calendar and say, hey, isn't Optus Stadium great? And isn't it neat that in two years' time they'll host the grand final? So that, there, there you go. There's some of my suggestions on that topic. Miguel? I was just going to say, you know, if they do that, they'll say the limit is 95,000. If you have a stadium that sits 95,000, we'll give you the opportunity to bid for the grand final. I don't care. That's the thing. If they said that, it would give New South Wales, next time they're building a stadium, they might get some more pressure from people saying, hey, maybe we can build a 95,000-seat stadium and we can get this event. Or maybe they can expand Adelaide Oval. or I know they're both fairly new, but... You know, you understand the point. If they say it has to hold 100,000 people, that at least incentivizes the fans in that community, the local government, or the state government, I should say, to go, yep, here's what we're building and here's why we're building it, because we can get our stadium into the rotation. Well, there you have it, guys. That is the opinion of three Eagles fans on a very sensitive topic of Victorian bias. A little bit of a long one this week, but... Keys, it's a topic that is very close to our heart, obviously. Thank you for coming on and sharing a quick rant with us. Yeah, I think we did very well to get through an hour or so without once booing or mentioning free kicks. Oh, God, we didn't even get into the umpiring discussion. What a shame. Miguel, (laughs) for yourself. We've got another hour or so to do that. Yeah, let's clear our schedules. We'll do part two next week. No, there's football next week, so we better discuss that then. But for now, Miguel, all things Vic Bias, thank you for coming on and sharing your take on the topic. Yeah, no worries. And it's nice to be able to get a little bit of a rant in. It's always um, cleansing for the soul. It is. It's refreshing. It gets you sort of, gee, I feel like I could take on the world. If I, if I had my way, actually, I'm going to send this to the club and I hope all the boys listen to this right before they run out. You always see them with their AirPods or whatever, all the, all the, the Beats and the headphones. Get them out listening to this, ranting about systemic bias. That'll get them fired up to play some footy. Uh, guys, thanks for coming on the show and to the listeners, thanks very much, as always, for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can do so through Twitter, at WCEBFpod. You can get in contact with us on Big Footy. You can sign up now for the 2020 season and, and chat all things Eagles with us. Uh, and as always, if you could leave a review or a subscription, tell a mate, anything like that, we would really, really appreciate it. Thanks very much for listening. We will talk to you next week when we'll be previewing round two and all things hubs. We'll be talking Dean Cox in the Hall of Fame. There's plenty of footy chat coming your way next week and we will talk to you then. Bye now. Bye. Bye.